as long as you're conservative and you will really be able to talk to anyone about it from investors to lenders, bankers, partners. Knowing the numbers is your greatest tool. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. David Tupin, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, man. How are you? Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm doing fantastic as well. And a little bit about David. He's a real estate investor and entrepreneur, co-founder of Obsidian Capital, which is a real estate investment firm. And by the age of 24, has acquired nearly 600 apartments valued at over $50 million and has $10 million worth of new development projects that they're working on right now based in Austin, Texas. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So thanks for having me, man. I started investing, to give you the short version, when I was about 19 turning 20 in college. is my junior year. We got out of some investment banking internships, didn't want to go the corporate route. So I started looking at buying multifamily properties. I was broke, had no money, had no ability to get a loan. And I put a 12 unit under contract in Michigan near where I grew up. And I was like, oh crap, how do I buy this now? So where in Michigan? It was in Metro Detroit, a city called Garden City. It's a mm-hmm. sea area. Nothing sexy about this property at all, but it was something I ran some numbers on and it worked, made an offer. And at that point, syndication wasn't really, I don't were you doing your podcast in 2016? Yes. Okay. There weren't as many podcasts and sources out there at that time as there are now for syndication. So I just kind of stumbled across a little bit of stuff and figured out I could put a PPM together, raise some money. Long story short, raised a couple hundred thousand dollars, found somebody to sign on the loan, bought that, and then did it a couple more times. So I had about 120 units syndicated before I graduated college. And then- How many units? 120. Wow. Before you graduated college. Before I graduated college. Where were you going to college? University of Detroit Mercy. Okay. Studying finance. And I didn't really go all that often. <laughs> I, <laughs> I skipped most of my classes. And my conversations with every teacher in the beginning of the semester went mostly with me telling them that I work a lot and that real estate's my focus. So I'll come when I can. <laughs> so yeah, you get I a degree? I did. Yeah. I got a finance degree. Nice. And I just kind of kept doing that. I, I partnered up with a guy out of Texas after I had bought a, uh, about a little over 200 units. He had owned about 4,500 apartments throughout Texas, sold most of them. He's twice my age, extremely smart guy, very humble. We saw eye to eye morally and ethically and had some bad experiences in the past. So we thought that it would be a good idea to partner up. And so we did that, bought a deal together in Houston. It went fantastic, 160 units. So we started Obsidian Capital together a little over a year ago, and we're approaching the 600 unit mark together, and we own some land and are doing some new developments now. Boy, we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> okay, let's just go from a chronological standpoint. 
you were in college, you got the 12 unit under contract, you didn't have any money, you raised a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you got a co-signer. Was the co-signer also someone who brought in some money? Yeah, I think maybe 25000 How did you meet the co-signer? Just through networking. It was another local fix and flipper. I started doing some wholesaling and flipping. So that was someone I had met and we partnered on that deal. So you were doing wholesaling and through the wholesaling business, you met this fix and flipper and then this fix and flipper co-signed. What was the liquidity and net worth that was required that you needed help with at the time? So the purchase price was $560,000, like 45 a unit was the purchase mm-hmm. price. So you know, probably half a million net worth and a couple hundred in liquidity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the couple hundred thousand that you raised, who participated in that deal? Not names, obviously, but just how you met them. Yeah. So we would call from friends and family category. Not really family, it was more friends and people I had networked with. I think we had six or seven people in at anywhere from twenty to fifty thousand. Um, total amount was about two hundred thousand. So the majority of those were other local entrepreneurs, somebody who has owned an insurance agency, somebody who flipped houses. So just a couple of people who wanted to invest in in something passively, and we were able to get them in on that. What's the answer to the question when it was asked to you? you don't have experience, you haven't done this yet, why should I invest with you? The answer to that question was the numbers. And I think that was a big thing for me is I'm a big analytical numbers person. And the easiest way to to overcome that objection was showing people proof that it was a good project, showing them the price compared to other comparable sales, showing them the rents compared to where properties on that street were getting so that I can increase them and showing them Proforma really helped me to overcome the, hey, you're only 20 years old and you've never done a deal before objection. And I got that a lot all the way through. <laughs> I don't get it as much now, but through my third deal where I had to raise 1.7 million on a 96 unit, and that was extremely difficult overcoming the age and track record. Say it's a cynical investor and the numbers and the market data speaks for itself. And then they say, that's great, David. The numbers do look favorable, but you've never executed on the business plan. Anyone can be a spreadsheet millionaire. Why should I believe you can execute the business plan? What was your response to that? My response is I've toured all of the comparable properties in the market. I've met with management companies, discussed the business plan. And the fact that it's only a 12 unit project doesn't leave a ton of room on the table for failure when it's a high occupancy market. So the Mm. property is already fully occupied. And from there, it was really me walking them through step-by-step what the plan was going to be. Getting tenants out one by one as their lease is renewed and offering them to stay at the new renovated rent mark. If they didn't want to stay, their lease would end, they would move out and we would renovate it and bring in somebody else at that higher rent mark. And so just kind of walking them through that process made it more comfortable. But to your point, there were a lot of people that heard that and said, no, I'll pass. And they weren't comfortable with it. So it really came down to having a lot of people look at the project to say, I'm interested. Yes, I'll invest with you. I'll take a chance. And how did you get to that number of people for your first deal? What were your avenues? A lot of them were people through meetups, local groups. I would ask for referrals. 
the guy that signed on the loan, he brought in his network. So I think the key is networking. Mm -hmm. That's helpful when you have a relationship with an influencer who's signing on the loan. So in this case, he believes in the project clearly, otherwise he wouldn't be signing on it. And then he's already got connections with others. So what percentage of investors came through that investor's connections? I would say half and half. Cool. That's a great way of doing it. How did you structure it with that investor in terms of general partnership fees and ownership? We split it all evenly. So we did an 8% preferred return to investors with a 80-20 split over that. And then 3% acquisition fee on the purchase price. And then myself and him split all that down the middle. Cool. Yes. You still have it? We do not. No, it sold out a little over a year. And actually another 12 unit we bought just down the street from that. Uh, same thing, same structure, same partnership. And we sold that one as well. Okay. That was deal number one. And then deal number two was, what did you say? Like a 20 unit? Did I hear that? Deal number two was another 12 unit on the 12 same unit. street. Oh, that one. Okay. We'll skip that one. How about your third deal that you mentioned? I think you said it was 1.6 million raise. Yeah. So it was a 1.7 million raise. Okay. Seven. And it was 96 units. We got it from a mailer. It's a really interesting story. The guy owns over a billion dollars in real estate. He's a local Michigan, old school, I think 71, 72 years old now investor. And he's really heavily invested into senior living developments and uh, hotels and stuff like that. Class A apartments. So this was a 79 build, 96 unit in a B minus area that he had built 40 years prior and owned free and clear. So he held it the whole time and he got a call from him and he was open to selling from a mailer. That was just a really simple, Hey, I see you on this property interested in making you an offer. He was a call if you'd like to sell and timing worked out, ended up building a good relationship with the guy, negotiated a good price. And we bought that one off market for 43,000 a unit. And we renovated it. We're all in for about 50 a door. And about six months ago, sold it for 70 to 71,000 a unit. Bravo. That one did very well. Thank you. This is your third deal at the time. You've bought two 12 units up to this point. You're sending out mailers. And the owner who owns over a billion dollars of real estate calls you up. Were you a little nervous? I had no clue, to be honest with you. <laughs> My first conversation with the guy, I had no clue. He said he owned a lot of real estate and he was like, oh, I own a couple thousand units free and clear and I own this and that. And I was like, all right, maybe is this guy the real deal? That and could go one of two extreme directions. <laughs> like you're like, exactly. hold your wallet and hide your kids or okay, this could be a long-term partnership thing. Exactly. And it was super interesting and just ended up building a good relationship with the guy and coming from those first two 12 units, I ended up partnering with the same guy on this one as I did the first two 12 units and sponsored the loan again. And we raised equity together. So I actually built a really good relationship with this seller. And I think that's what really helped get the deal done. And Joe, I ended up living in this deal and kind of house hacked it. So it was one of my greatest learning experiences was when I was 21, I, we bought it in 2017 and I got in, oversaw about a half million dollar renovation, which I had never done before. Self-managed the deal. Freddie Mac small balance loan. I'm not sure why they let us self-manage it, Yeah, but they did. And I had an on-site manager and maintenance person 
and I took a two bedroom. I kind of tricked it out. I lived in it and it went really well. What do you mean you tricked it out? I renovated it, did kind of a cool renovation on it. And then I also paid the highest rent on the property. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. So you ended up buying this property and living there. What were some challenges overseeing that type of renovation project with have never done that before? I don't even know where to start. (laughs) It is a big process managing that kind of a renovation. I will say got it done under budget, but it took probably six months longer than it should have. Okay. The biggest thing is if I were to do it all over again, I would have vetted three general contractors to oversee the unit renovations. And I would have tried to put one group in place that could tackle all of the unit renovations from start to finish. When a unit moves out, they'd get two to three units a month. And when somebody moves out, they'd go in there and knock it out. We tried out three different small-time contractors. One was a group of three or four brothers. You know, we call them band contractors. They'll work out of the van. A couple guys. So it was just a hodgepodge of renovations. And we ended up hitting the rents, but the unit turns took longer than they should have. It wasn't the same quality level across the board. If I were to do it all over again, I would have just hired one group to tackle all the unit renovations, keep it consistent, keep it easy. You said you had bad experiences in the past, you and your new partner. So what was your bad experience? The business partner I've had on some of these deals did not see eye to eye in a lot of areas. And I'm very by the book, I would say. And my reputation is important to me. And making ethical decisions is also really important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of part how I was raised. And I think that's how you should act in business. And I didn't see that from this partner. So I just decided, you know, let's sell everything off. We're going to do well and let's part ways on a good note. Yep. That's kind of what happened. And it led me to find my current business partner who sees eye to eye with me exactly. Mm -hmm. Really good situation. So no regrets. You have to go through that kind of stuff. and figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I guess if I have any advice or suggestions on that to other people, I know a lot of people getting into this business and syndicating or partnering and starting groups and stuff, just try it out. Do a deal separately before you go and start a business with somebody. Just test run it and see how you operate together before going down that road. Yeah. And you ended on a high note and everyone made money and then it brought you to the current partnership. What are some examples of the ethical dilemmas that you came across? Situations where, let's say, for example, we were to have the ability in an operating agreement. So this is the structure of that deal. The goal was to go in, renovate it, bring the value up within a couple of years, refinance, get all capital back to investors. Our equity would then go up to 50-50. And then we were going to hold long-term. That's what we, we told them. So what was brought up was, hey, why don't we refinance? Our equity goes up to 50-50 and then we sell the property. I was like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense and that doesn't look too good on us. So I don't think Mm -hmm. that's something that we should do. It's pretty obvious that the goal is to refinance so our equity goes up and then we sell it and we make a lot more money. But Mm -hmm. that is not ethical in my mind. That wasn't the plan we discussed. And if we're going to sell the property now or in the short term, we should just sell it and give Mm -hmm. them the profits that they should get. So (laughs) That would upset a lot. That would burn some bridges. (laughs) It's a pretty clear, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Pretty clear, borderline. So things like that. I just it's it's technically sound, but I mean, come on. If you want to do if you want to do another deal, 
and yeah. just want to look yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Okay. Good luck doing another deal with those investors. So right. Or, or, and there is a ripple effect with that too. Word of mouth. Absolutely. So. Oh man, there is. And it's a small world. You've got to be really careful and who you're working with. So not to get too deep into all that, but it's something where that kind of stuff's really important to me to act in our investors' best interest and be by the book. What was the challenge that your current business partner had in the past? He had a business partner that they owned about $300 million in real estate together. And he just, after a couple of years, he wasn't really pulling his weight and stopped showing up to the office a lot. And once they started making a lot of money, he wasn't Jet skiing and yeah, he was going out gallivanting around. Exactly. He was going out and buying Ferraris instead of being in the office put together deals. So it just wasn't for him. It wasn't working out anymore. And Glenn's a lot like me. He's always a very ethical guy. And there are just things that he was seeing that he didn't like anymore. So they decided to do the same thing. Let's sell everything off. And so because Glenn and I went through a similar experience, he told those stories for like, man, we might as well try partnering because we really went through the same thing and see the same way and see eye to eye. So let's try this out. All right. You went to development. Why are you doing development? So I moved to Austin, Texas in the past year. And so I'm, I'm down here now where he lives. And we found a piece of land at a good price. It's already entitled, ready to build. So we've been wanting to get into d- development for a while. It's, it's a really, really good market down here for development. Absorption's great. Solid rental rates here in Austin. And it's just growing like crazy. So right in the path of progress where this project is, and it made a lot of sense. And to do this size sub 100 units to us was a great way to start getting into development. We didn't want to start doing a 200 unit project. So 50 to 100 unit range is a great starting place for that because you can still do a HUD loan. And yeah, it's easier to get in without having the development experience, prior development experience. How is it easier? I think that just more units, but it's the same process just noticed after talking to a lot of lenders and other people who've developed before, they just suggested starting at that level is going to be a lot easier to get into and, and to qualify for a loan and just to really cut your teeth on as opposed to going into that 100, 200 range to start. On the project level, what are the projected returns for this development deal? We're in the high teen IRRs on a five-year and that's kind of our projection, but we plan to hold this long-term. And that's on a project level? No, investor level. Oh, okay. Yeah, on a project level. The project level is going to be low to mid-20s, 22, 23. Okay. Internal rate of return. And I'm assuming, based on how resourceful you were in college and leading up to this point, you've also been looking at other opportunities, existing product. First off, is that a correct assumption? Yes, that's mainly what we do is existing So I imagine that you could find existing product with a value-add business plan that would be similar project-level IRR projections. And if that is the case, then why go through the risk of ground-up development? A couple of reasons. One is we have several investors that are really interested in the new development. So that sparks our interest right off the bat because we know that we have equity behind us. Second of all, it's something that we've been really interested in and we want to have as kind of a branch of our company going forward, new development side of things. And then lastly, it's not something that we'll do anywhere. It really depends on the location and for what we're doing and what we're building, 
in Austin, for example, B-class product, if you're buying 80s and 90s product, is selling for anywhere from 120 to 150,000 per unit right now. We're building this for 108,000 a door and it's going to be brand new. And with land, we're closer to 130. So we're all in, in that mid range of where 90s product is selling. So to us, that just clicked. It just makes sense. Why would we buy in Austin a 80s product for 130 a door when we can go and build brand new, higher quality for around the same price? Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh man, my best advice ever in real estate is know the numbers. If you know the numbers, you will make smart decisions as long as you're conservative and you will really be able to talk to anyone about it from investors to lenders, bankers, partners. Knowing the numbers is your greatest tool. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it, man. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. Best ever resource you use to stay up to date with what you need to stay up to date with business-wise? CoStar News. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? Ooh, mistake I made on a transaction. Not going to the right lender from the start. And what do you do now? What questions do you ask to determine what the right lender is or which one's not the right one? Well, I've learned which project specific, right? So in the beginning, didn't know about agency loans. So I went with regional bank loans when we should have done agency just because we didn't know about it. So I guess that was a mistake that would have been solved by knowing the right lender to work with. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Educating other young people that are in their 20s and college and that want to get into real estate. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can follow me on Instagram at Real Estate Jedi, Facebook, look me up, David Tupin, or our website, obsidiancapitalco.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and talking to us about the early deals, the 120 units you had syndicated before you graduated college. Fist bump to you. I'm raising my fist right now to you. And congratulations on what projects you have upcoming as well as finding a business partner that aligns with the way you think and the way you want to approach business. So enjoyed our conversation. I learned and most importantly, best ever listeners, I hope it was valuable to you. So thanks for so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Appreciate it.